Well, we're in our study on the Lord's Prayer, our heart, heart cry for His holiness. And we want you, I hope you took a handout last week. If not, it's on the table, uh, challenging you to memorize the Lord's Prayer. Uh, whether that be in your own translation version you want. This is the one that we're saying together. So let's start today by saying this prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let me challenge you to continue to uh, memorize that and begin to pray through that and use that as a structure for your prayers. Well, we need to learn... First, what is prayer? So I want you to take a look at this video and uh, let it introduce our lesson today. What is prayer? In many ways, prayer is a simple thing to do. But sometimes we can have a limited view of what prayer actually is. Now, don't get me wrong. Prayer is a means of supplication and making requests to God. It's just that... Prayer is also more than that. Prayer is both talking to God and having a relationship with Him. Prayer is making yourself available to God and allowing Him to make Himself available to you. Prayer is a way to ask God for provision for tomorrow and a means by which He provides the sustenance we need for today. So we pray not to get our own way, but rather we pray to align ourselves to God's will. We pray not for things that might create independence from God, but rather we pray as an expression of dependence upon God. Yes, God loves to hear our prayers and requests. He listens to them, He delights in them, and He responds to them. It's just that prayer is also where we can confess our sins, praise His goodness, listen to His voice, and be reminded of truth. Prayer isn't just a way to ask for more fruit, but through prayer, we begin to bear more fruit. Prayer isn't just words spoken at specific times during the day. It's living with a mindset that allows God to transform you throughout all of your days. So don't think of prayer as just an activity done before meals or bedtime, but rather think of prayer as a way of life. In the Lord's Prayer is to see prayer as a way of life. But for us to do that, we need to examine, first of all, the way we pray more than the words we say. And so if you look at your notes, I have uh, an overview of the section of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to study. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. Now, look at that chart. It's basically divided between two things, the wrong way to pray and the right way to pray. He begins with motives and relationship. Why? Because prayer is to be a way of life. It's a heart cry for His holiness. Then he moves into the manner and request. Here's how you pray. And so it's divided between how we pray and what we pray. And under the idea of the wrong way to pray, he wants us to not pray like a hypocrite, which we'll study today, and not like an orphan, which we will study next week. So the way we pray, verses 5 through 8, comes before the words we say in verses 9 through 15. So look there in your Bibles and let's read together verses 5 and 6. Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. That truly indicates a divine judgment by the king. 
Verse 6, but when you pray, my disciples, my followers, my kingdom people, but when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Wow. These two verses are just jam-packed, and we're going to look at them this morning. It's, remember, our goal in this is to learn how to pray to the Father like the Son. And so the Son needs to be our example, not people who pray hypocritically. And He wants us to realize that. Now, I'm speaking on a topic that I have great authority on. Uh, I have prayed like a hypocrite more often than I'd like to admit. But you know what? I have to admit it if I'm going to learn how to not do it. And the same goes for you. And so this is going to be, right now we just need to say, Holy Spirit, do some heart surgery. Do some heart surgery. And surgery is never, it's always painful. It's a little messy. It can be a little bloody. But surgery to remove cancer has a good outlook on the other side of it. And it's healing and it's an ongoing relationship with your loved ones because you're still alive. Well, let him do some spiritual surgery on us this morning. Amen. And let us see that no matter how painful this may be for us, on the other side is a closer relationship with God. So let's look at this. In these two short verses, Jesus answers seven questions. And we're going to look at his answers to them. So let's begin with the first question. Who are the hypocrites? He says, hey, don't pray like the hypocrites. Well, who are they? Well, the first answer to that is anyone who is a play actor like the Pharisees. He really has in mind the Pharisees, the scribes. It's amazing. When hypocrite is used in the, in the Gospels, and that's where it's used, it's on the lips of Jesus. And when he addresses anyone directly and calls them a hypocrite, it's always the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, or rulers of the synagogue. That's who he has in mind. And before you go, oh, good, it's those guys, not me, you need to remember Pharisees are us, right? Pharisees are us. They were the Bible believers. They were the churchgoers. They were the ones who loved God, give to God, prayed to God. They were us. They were Bible believers, right? So even though they're the bad guys in the Gospels, we need to identify with them and, and realize Pharisees are us. Now, the word for hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor, and it refers to one who plays a part in a dramatic production. You see, hypocrites are people who treat the world as their stage and they cast themselves in the starring role. Hypocrites are play actors at religious piety. When I say the greatest show on earth, what comes to your mind? What? The, the circus. If you're my wife, it's her favorite movie, okay? The greatest, or the greatest showman. Sorry about that, Gwen. The greatest showman. The greatest show on earth. Well, yeah, you think of the circus, right? But when God thinks of the greatest show of, on earth, he's thinking about the hypocrites and their performance of piety before him. He thinks of the prayers of my people when they pray like the hypocrites and put on a great show for others to see. Now, I already mentioned this morning that uh, Chiefs fans are lining up 2 a.m. in the morning. That's, that's pretty fervent, that's pretty passionate, and they want to see a performance this afternoon as we all do. But listen, it could be argued that religion is, has far more specta spectators who pay far more money and who are far more serious than the Chiefs game this afternoon. No sporting event, no entertainment show, no political convention compares to the show that religion puts on for all the world to see. And you know when those productions go on? Well, for Muslims, it's on Fridays. For Jewish people, it's Saturdays. And for us as Christians, it often goes on on Sunday. You see, hypocrites are spiritual pretenders. They pretend to be something that they're not. And in this passage, in the context, they pretend to be givers, they pretend to be praying, 
and they pretend to be fasting and make great sacrifices. The point is, they like to be appear to be someone they really aren't, and to do something they actually don't do. Turn over in your Bibles, Matthew 23, uh, and we see the highlight of this and the scathing judgment of Jesus on this in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. The whole passage is about this, but just so you can get a taste of who he has in mind. Look at 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and they do not do them. So they're teaching the Bible. They're not practicing the Bible. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds, and here's the key for us, to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. And then in the rest of the chapter, Jesus lowers seven woes of judgment on this kind of hypocrisy. So hypocrites are religious phonies. They're cheap imitations and they're spiritual knockoffs like you would buy out of the trunk of a car on a street in New York. Anyone, though, What Jesus is talking about in this study, in this section of Matthew, and in our study, is about prayer actors. So who is a hypocrite? Anyone who is a prayer actor. We're trying to be prayer learners. And we need to make sure that we repent of being prayer actors. Prayer is a performance for others to hear and applaud. Listen to that prayer. That's why the hypocrite prays, to get the applause of men. They act like they're prayer warriors, or even they act like they're prayer learners, but in fact, they are prayer actors. Now, that's who they are. How do they pray? That's the second question. How do the hypocrites pray? And Jesus here in verse 5 gives us three characteristics so we need to take, take note of this. First of all, they pray with a pious passion. They pray with a pious passion. Notice what Jesus says in verse 5. For they what? They, what's the text say? Love. They love to pray. I love. Man, they, if there's a prayer meeting, the prayer actor is going to show up. Why? Because there's a performance to be done and there will be an audience. Well, most prayer meetings don't have many in the audience, but that's the idea. They want to perform. They love to pray. The hypocrites Jesus is referring to were intense about praying. They prayed with a frequency and a fervency. A fervency. They were passionate about prayer. Now, each one of these things we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you a counterbalance. And the counterbalance to this is this. There's nothing wrong with intense praying. Oh, that we would pray as much as the Pharisees did. Oh, that we would be as frequent, as fervent, and passionate as prayer about them, about prayer as they were. One author said this, a lot of the trouble about prayer would disappear if only we realize that we go to pray not because we love prayer, but because we love God. You see, these guys loved the idea of praying because it was a performance from which they could get applause. But they weren't in love with the idea of knowing God. 
conversing with God, being with God. Listen to me. I want to help you in this series. I want to be helped in this series. When we get our focus on God and prayer, then we don't worry about words so much. Then we don't worry about saying things so correctly. Then we don't worry about the other people listening to us because we're, as we're going to see, we're, we're praying to an audience of one. And so they were passionate about this. They prayed a lot because they saw, they loved to be seen praying and praised for it. But we should be as passionate about prayer, not to be seen amen, but to spend time with our heavenly father. So how do they pray? With a pious passion. Number two, with a pious posture. They love to pray standing, standing. Now, at first that sounds odd, but that was the favorite posture in Jesus's day. And again, there's a counterbalance here. There's nothing wrong with standing to pray. We do that in our own church, right? And Jesus Uh, stood to pray and Hannah in the Old Testament and Jehoshaphat the king in the Old Testament we see him standing to pray the idea is not about location as we're going to see but it is about motivation it's not about the posture that we have it's about our motive so here's the idea they love to stand where they could be most seen are you with me They stood where they could be most seen. And that brings us to the third characteristic. They prayed with a pious placement. It wasn't just that they were standing. It was where they were standing. Notice what Jesus says in verse 5. They loved to stand in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets. You see, there's two very special places they like to pray religious meetings, and the secular marketplace. Now, what do these two meetings have in common? I mean, what do these two locations have in common? They're public. They're very public. They have lots of people so that, in other words, they provided a stage for their prayer performance. Now, here's the counterbalance. There's nothing wrong with praying in public, or I'd already be in trouble this morning. You saw me praying. You heard me praying. That's the issue is not the location, but the motivation. Jesus himself said the temple in Jerusalem, which was a very public place, was to be a house of prayer. Jesus himself prayed in public and before meals. He prayed before 5,000 people plus before he fed them. Loaves and fishes. So prayer can be done in public. And I say that because this passage is sometimes twisted to imply, well, you have to only pray in private. You can never pray so that people could see you. Although Jesus condemned these hypocrites in their prayers, there was nothing wrong with their passion, their posture, or the place of their prayers. The problem was not what they did it was why and that brings us to the third question why do hypocrites pray why do hypocrites pray well jesus tells us in verse five for they love to stand and pray in these places why that they may be seen by men now the church father augustine has this great insight it's not the being seen of men that is wrong but doing these things for the purpose of being seen of men. It's why you want to be seen, not that you are seen. So here it is. Prayer actors pray, first of all, why do they pray? To be seen by people rather than heard by God. And that's the heart of what Jesus wants us to get. To be seen by people rather than heard by God. God is not the one they are addressing in prayer. It is other people. Their mind and their heart is focused on others. When I try to encourage people, and this is just common help for public speaking, get your focus off of who you're talking to and on the purpose of what you're sharing. Well, it's the same thing with prayer. Get your focus off of the people that are listening to you and on to the one to whom you are actually 
praying. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Jesus told a parable that is really gets the point of this passage across. It's in Luke 18, verse 9. And it's a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector, a very religious, seemingly godly person, and a very someone who is seen as ungodly in that culture, the Pharisee, the spiritual one, the tax collector, the unspiritual one. But what we see is that they are both praying in this passage but with two very different results. Look at verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. There's our topic. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood, that's the normal way, and was praying this, but notice he's praying this to himself. That's important. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, it's interesting. The three things he highlights are the very things in Matthew 6 that Jesus is addressing. He hits giving, praying, and fasting. But look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing... He's standing too. It's not the posture. It's the posture of the heart, not the body so much. Some distance away, but see, he is very humble. I'm not quick to come into God's presence. Was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the heart of the matter. The second reason why they prayed that way to be seen, because they wanted to impress people rather than be impacted by God. So the reason they want to be seen is because they want to get the applause and the adoration of people rather than the approval of God. What appears... Like in Luke 18, what appears to be a heart cry for holiness is really the heartache of phoniness. And that's what you and I want to avoid. We want a true heart heart cry of holiness and not experience the heartbreak of phoniness. You see, hypocrites have a heart problem. And if I could just remind us of one critical truth the heart of the problem is always the heart anything you're dealing with when we deal with each other when we deal with people the heart of the problem is always the heart it's not the external we get all caught up well they're doing this they're saying yeah but the heart of the problem parents the heart of the problem is always the heart marriage the heart of the problem is always the heart. Church conflict, the heart of the problem, is always the heart. He or she, the hypocrite, doesn't want to be holy in the eyes of God. She only wants to seem holy in the eyes of people. You see, the hypocrites are more concerned with his or her reputation for righteousness than actually becoming righteous. They want the admiration of people as more important than the approval of God. Therefore, here's what they do. They pray for maximum attention. Therefore, they pray at the intersection of where people are, the stage where people are. So, here's the, thing, the, the good news, and it's kind of sobering news. God's not deceived. He always looks first at our heart. God hears the cry of our hearts before he hears the words of your mouth. Are you with me? God hears the cry of your heart. That's why when we don't know what to pray, still spend time in prayer. Because the Spirit comes alongside and it's the cry of your heart. And I've already told you 
think last week, the, what the Lord's Prayer does for me in my prayer life is when I don't know what to pray, and by the way, most times where we need to pray are situations where we don't know what to pray. So what do we do? Pray through the Lord's Prayer because it's always relevant. And you begin to see the problem that seems beyond your wisdom, which it probably is. You begin to see it from God's perspective because you're praying as God would want you to do. So, God's not deceived, but we can be, very much so. So here's the fourth question. How do I know if I'm a prayer actor? How do I know if I am a prayer actor? And this is probably the thing in studying this passage that most is impactful. And probably part of that is because of my vocation of public, of a pastor and a public teacher and and praying in public every week and that kind of thing. But it applies to all of us. Here's what you want to ask. How do I know if I'm a prayer actor? Compare the amount of time you spend in private prayer to the amount of time you spend in public prayer. How much do you pray when there's no audience or no food? (laughs) How much do you pray when God is your only audience? Is my prayer time mostly private or is it mostly public? So here's the question and here's the word picture. Is your prayer life more like an iceberg or the Titanic? Now, what's the deal about an iceberg? When it comes to prayer, our public prayer ought to be just the tip of the iceberg. 10% of an iceberg is above water on average, 90% below the surface unseen. When we think about our prayer life, the public praying that we do ought to be the tip of the iceberg, and the bulk of it ought to be in personal and private prayer. Our public prayers in the church, in our grow group, when we, sometimes in our class, we pray at our tables here in class. The public prayers in the church ought to be supported by a large mass of private prayer throughout the week. Unfortunately, the prayer life of the average Christian is more like the Titanic than an iceberg. We are proud vessels above the surface, but underneath our respectable Christianity, the bulkhead is filling with water, the pumps are failing, and we are in danger of seeking, sinking into a sea of spiritual neglect, especially of prayer. So that is a powerful image that has really resonated and convicted me. Is my prayer time mostly private or public? Now, I don't want you to leave here thinking, okay, now God's up there with a stopwatch, you know, and he's, he's, he's measuring all this thing out. No, that's not the idea. But surely we can all admit, right, that something's wrong if we only pray when someone else is watching or listening, right? Now, here's what D.A. Carson, a great New Testament Bible scholar, said. The person who prays more in public than in private reveals that he is less interested in God's approval than in human praise. Not piety, but a reputation for piety is his concern. So, what is our concern this morning? Is it a reputation for godliness Or is it real godliness in the sight of God? Well, let's go to the fifth question. Why should I stop being a prayer actor? Why should I stop being? Well, I hope you already have some motivation on that, okay? I hope you already have some answer to that. But Jesus goes further. Listen, hypocrites pray to be seen, but what they do, but but what do they have to show Once they are seen. So they pray to be seen. But what's the reward of that? What do they have to show. Once they have performed their show. Well look at verse 5. They are rewarded with their performance. Which was just what they wanted. No more no less. 
So look at verse 5. God justly gives the hypocrite exactly what he or she desires. They pray so that they may be seen by men. And so Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. They have their reward in full. You see, the only reward of a prayer actor receives is what they desired and what they deserve. And here it is. The applause of people and the absence of answers from God. They get what they desired. They, get, they are given by God what they deserve. No more, no less. Now, what's that mean? Prayer actors get the reward that they really desired. What was it? Why, what did they desire when they pray? To be seen and applauded, right? And so what's their reward? They were seen and they were applauded by men. That's it. What is it that they really deserve? Well, what were they performing for? They were performing for the response of people. What do they get as their reward? The response of people. And that's it. That's all they get. The prayer actor actually gets what they were really asking for. They already got what they asked for. They already received what they were really seeking. They weren't really asking God for anything. They were asking for people to see them and be impressed by them. And that's what they get. The reward of the prayer actor is the heartache of phoniness. That's why we should stop. Because it's not eternal, it's not fulfilling, it's not lasting. And the applause, we were just talking about this earlier. Boy, uh, two years ago, Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Everybody wanted the underdog. Now four championships, and everybody's trying to tear down the Chiefs. And listen, if you're looking for the affirmation of people, they are fickle. We are fickle. And they will always let you down. And you will always be controlled by those you seek to please. Right? So... How do I become a prayer learner? Everything that we've learned thus far is in one verse. Can you imagine what's packed in the Bible? All that we have learned is in that one verse. And I think I I, uh, did your verses wrong here. But the answer to how to become a prayer learner is found in the next verse, verse 6. So let's read that again. But you, we've been talking about the hypocrites. But you, you aren't phony. You're my followers. You're citizens of the kingdom. My disciples, you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So overall, what Jesus is doing is he's ta- remember the iceberg? He's talking about the 90% that's under the surface and unseen. He's really getting to the heart of prayer. And he tells us how to become prayer learners. So let's take a look at it. The first thing to do is pray to be heard by God more than seen by people. Pray to be heard by God more than seen by people. Pray with a heart cry for holiness... Not phoniness. Now, what does holiness mean? Holiness means to be set apart. Set apart. Set yourself apart for prayer. That's what verse 6 is all about. Setting yourself apart for prayer. So here's three simple steps that Jesus gives us. Boom, boom, boom. He gives it to us. Number one, get alone with your father without an audience. Get alone with your father without an audience. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. The inner room is a place of solitude versus the multitudes. Pray in solitude rather than before the multitudes. And this word for inner room is very interesting when you track it down in the cultural background. The, the word for inner room in that culture, in a, in a typical house, there was one room that was in the center of the house 
that had no windows. You know, houses in those days, there was a lot of activity, a lot of community, a lot of people around, right? Coming and going. But there was this one room that had no windows and usually was the unique room that had a lock on that door. And it was that room where you stored your treasure and your most prized possessions. They all knew about the inner room. And so what Jesus is saying is, prize your prayer time. Treasure your time alone with God. Go into a place of solitude where you can prize Him where, because you treasure Him. Get alone where there is solitude versus multitudes. Now, I know we have uh, young moms, uh, all sorts of ages here, and, but I know and remember many years ago now what uh, those times were when you have uh, toddlers and you're like in a room. I mean, you know, I've heard of young moms locking themselves in the bathroom, okay, for more reasons than prayer, but I mean, you know, just for sanity's sake, but locking yourself in the bathroom. Uh, John and Charles Wesley, these great revivalists of the 1700s, their mother, Susanna, was a godly woman. And she tells a story, and she had a, 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 a boatload of kids. I, I forget now, 11, 12, something like that. And she would just get in the kitchen and put her apron over her head and sit amid the chaos. And they knew that when mom had the apron over her head, she was in her inner room. Now, I don't know if that works or not, I, but... What I, but, but do you see her heart? Listen, we, we just put too many excuses in front of ourselves, don't we? Oh, I'll, I'll do all that stuff serving Jesus after the kids. Well, I'll tell you, you get tired then after the kids. Well, then I'll wait until I'm done working. I'll, I'll, I'll spend my... Re- no, no, no. Whatever stage you're in this morning, that's the time to prioritize the things of God and the people of God, right? And then you come to the end of your life with this track record and where you can say, wow, when I was single, God was faithful. When I was married and had no kids and were looking for kids, God was faithful. When I had those kids and they were driving me nuts, God was faithful. When I sent them off to college and we experienced the empty nets, God was faithful. When work was done and my joints are aching, God's still faithful. Listen, I'm telling you, I don't know where you're at, but I'm old enough now. And seeing people, especially during this time, faithful guy in our church just died this week of uh, COVID. Bob Moreland, some of you know him. Carmen's here because of Bob Moreland. Listen, you're going to look back, and the only things that you're going to care about are the things of God. And you're never going to regret the, the hours, the minutes, the times you spent in prayer. And that's what he wants us to get. Get alone with your Father without an audience. Treasure that. Number two, get a hold of your Father without distractions. He says, close your door. Don't only go in there, but close your door so that you can enjoy silence versus interference. Pray without pretending to be something you're not. The idea is to get somewhere where you can just cry out to God and be real with Him. Instead of, well, what are they going to think? Well, you know what? Your Heavenly Father already knows your heart. You're not going to say anything that shocks him, surprises him. He'll be more shocked that you're aware of it, not that he's finding out about it. Are you with me? But he wants to hear, just like you. Look, half the things your kids tell you, you already know what they're going to tell you. But the joy is hearing them tell you. And that's what your heavenly father wants. And so number three is this. (laughs) Okay. All right, Jody, I don't know what's going on, but I'm with you. Get real with your father without hesitation. I realize when they get teens, we don't know what they're doing. But that's why we pray, Jody. That's why we pray, because he knows. He knows. Get real with your father without hesitation. Notice what he says. Go into your inner room, 
close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret. Now, the secret thing is a weird deal. Pray to your father with secrecy versus fakery or duplicity or dishonesty. What does it mean? Pray to your father who is in secret. What it means is this. When you get alone and it seems like no one's there with you, the father is. The father is. When you think and know no one else sees you, he sees you. When no one else is hearing you, he hears you. When no one else is caring, he's caring. Go to him in secret. You are never alone. When you get alone, you're never alone. Can we remember that? When you get alone, you're never alone because he is there in secret. And then it says, your father who sees in secret. He knows and sees your heart better than anyone. He sees what's really going on. And that's the idea of secret. Robert Murray McShane. And let me say this. This idea of secrecy is weird to us. This, this being in secret is not a contemporary Christian thing. But when you read the great devotional writers, when you read a couple hundred years back, they are always talking about things done in secret because they knew what it was to get alone with God. Listen to Robert Murray McShane, who is a pastor who lived a very short life, a very prayerful life, but had a very powerful impact. Here's what he said. I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early, it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer. See, he knows what secret means. Secret means to be seen by the Father and not by others. And he says, I try to do that and talk to him. John Piper is famous for challenging us and, and, and really reproving us, rebuking us for our technology. The idea of talk to God and get into the Bible before you pick up your phone in the morning. Okay, before you start surfing through, tweeting, posting, looking, memeing, all those things. Talk to God. McShane's the same one who said, What a man or a woman is on his knees before God, that he is nothing more. And again, I want to repeat, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. That's not the point. But that should be what? The tip of the iceberg. And the ballast ought to be that. John Calvin, the great reformer, made the same point. After listing several advantages of praying in solitude, rather than before the multitude, here's what Calvin said. To express it in a few words, whether a man prays alone or in the presence of others, he ought to have the same feelings as if he were shut up in his closet and had no other witnesses but God. Isn't that good? Calvin had a lot, you know, it's, it's funny. Calvin gets the bad rap of all the doctrine and all the, the predestination, but he is one of the greatest writers on prayer. Uh, you really ought to track that down. The, third, the second thing that prayer learners do is they pray in public like you do in private. Pray in public. So it's not just in secret, but pray in public like you are in secret, like you do in secret. In fact, the more you pray in private, the more you ought to pray in public. Why? Because you have the integrity of a prayer learner instead of the hypocrisy of a prayer actor. And most of all, you give others the opportunity to hear your heart cry. That's why we have our grow groups. Starting up Super Bowl Sunday and, and the Sundays following that. One of the richest times to experience prayer and hear heart cry is in our grow groups where we pray. And even when we divide up uh, and pray at our tables before class, before teaching, when we do that, you hear the heart cry. Listen, when you don't pray in public, 
you're robbing your brothers and sisters of hearing your heart cry to the Lord. And I learn a whole lot listening to the heart cry of others. That's how you learn to pray anyway. And it just bonds you together. When I hear somebody humbling, broken, praying, it humbles and it breaks me. And I'm not thinking about the sin they're confessing. I'm thinking about my, because God uses that. He uses that. So let me challenge you. If you never pray in your grow group, that's kind of hard to do. So that's why some people don't go to grow groups. But when you don't pray at this table, I don't mean every time. This isn't legal. But but learn to pray with your brothers and sisters. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. And the way to learn how to pray in public is do more praying in private. This is powerful stuff, powerful stuff. All right, last question. Man, we made it. Thank you, Jesus. You did answer prayers for me. What is the ultimate reward of a prayer learner? What is the ultimate reward? It's three things. The approval of God. Now, this is powerful. This is powerful. Is your amen the end or the beginning of your reward? Think about this. For the prayer actor... When they say the amen, it is the end of their performance and it's the end of their reward. But when a prayer learner says amen, it's not the end, it's the beginning. The beginning of God's reward. I think that's just a cool thing. Because by the way, amen doesn't mean the end, we use it that way, but that's not what amen is. Isn't the Christian way of saying the end? <laughs> the amen is let it be. Now let it start happening first in me. Jesus does not say here, does not say here, but one uh, or uh, rather, what will that reward be? It's interesting in this passage, Jesus doesn't say what the reward will be. He just says that he will reward. It's a future reward. But we know at least one of those rewards is answers to prayer. So that's the second reward. Approval of God, but also answers to prayer. Do people just see and applaud? Or does God hear and answer your prayer? Now, the answer may be, there's only three answers. God will always answer, but what are the three answers? Yes, no, not right now. Thank you, Jeff. Wait, that's what they are. It, it, it's just like the, the stop sign. Red, stop, no. Green, yes, go. And yellow, caution, wait. Those are the answers. But you know what the greatest reward is? It's additional grace. It's additional grace. Prayer is its own reward. Can I say it again? Prayer is its own reward. Why? Because you're in the presence of God and he is pleased. And when you realize prayer isn't a grocery list to twist God's arm to get your will done, but it's praising him in his presence for his will to be done, then prayer will be less of a chore. It's always going to be a spiritual battle. Are you with me? It's always going to be a spiritual battle. I'm not saying any of this is easy. But if you don't have the right perspective, if you don't know the way to pray, then it's always going to be the heartbreak of holiness, of phoniness. Now, let me just say this real quickly about prayer, the additional grace. I've been in ministry now 31 years, all at this church, and I sometimes hear people talk about not getting answers to prayer or not seeing results from their giving, their praying, or their sacrifice. And they often ask why, and they question themselves. Or worse, they begin to question God, and they begin to question whether continuing to give, to pray, to sacrifice, to serve is worth it. And I just want to say, listen, we need to prayer, prayerfully consider why sometimes answers are lacking, right? Sometimes they're lacking because we're not truly born again. We don't know the Father. 
Sometimes they're lacking because we have unrepentant sin. But let's say, as far as you can know before the Lord, and by the way, do that heart searching before Him and with other people because the devil loves to deceive us, right? And we come up with all these weird reasons why things aren't working. But listen, listen to me. Assuming you're saved, assuming you you don't have unrepentant sin, We need to claim this promise right here in this verse that God will reward us. Listen, some prayers don't get answered until long after you die. I I can't tell you how many stories I've heard through the years of people getting saved at the funeral of someone who has prayed for them all their lives. But listen, some things won't get answered and you won't know the answer until you're in heaven. And so you just keep praising, you keep praying, you keep serving, You keep giving, knowing that God will reward you. So, look at the end of your notes there. How is your heart cry for His holiness? I would really challenge you, get before God. Go to your inner room, close the door, and evaluate. And evaluate. And every week, this handout is right there with your notes. I hope you picked one up. And if you didn't, pick one up on on your way out. So, every week, I'm going to have something like this that will help you reflect in prayer on the lesson that you just learned. And so it says, my heart cry to not pray like a hypocrite. And then it just says, write out what God spoke to you. And then it says, pray it back to him following the structure of the Lord's Prayer. And you say, Chris, I'm a prayer learner 101. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Okay, P-R-A-Y on the back. Praise, repent, ask, and yield really follows the Lord's Prayer in a broad way, in a simple way. And just pray through. And I'm not saying pray, pray around the world. Pray for Mitch and Beth at a later time. What this is for is for you to pray about your heart cry to not pray like a hypocrite. Really focus in on that. Sound good? Best application when teaching on prayer is what? pray (laughs) all right let's do that then let's pray father we thank you for your understanding compassionate heart we praise you that when we seek you you will let us find you when we knock you will open the door and when we ask you will give graciously abundantly and freely lord we ask not only for myself not just for our class, but for our church, that we would not pray like the hypocrites. Forgive us, Lord, for we often do. But grow us, Lord, into the heart cry of true holiness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people said, Amen. All right. 